Welcome to the Waypoint What's the Point podcast. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church, and I'm joined with Pastor Lawrence and Pastor Eric. And we are continuing our series as we are reading the Bible together as a church, and we're preaching through the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible. And in the reading plan, we've gotten to this point where we're in the book of Numbers, probably the most boring name book in the Bible, and uh, but actually a really exciting and important book of the Bible for us as Christians. So I think it, it's weird that like Exodus, we actually take the 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 Greek name, and which is Exodus, and for Numbers, for, for some reason, we take the Greek name and we don't take the Hebrew name, which I think is a little more exciting into the wilderness. Can you imagine if Steven Spielberg wrote a book, wrote, made a movie called Numbers? If it was about like computers and stuff, it'd be exciting. But if it was about counting people, if it was about a census. I mean, maybe you could get Russell Crowe to be the lead actor or something. Yeah, like Numbers would be a mind. boring movie. Even even a computer movie just sounds kind of boring. But if, if, if Spielberg or one of these guys made a movie called Into the Wilderness, like yeah, pe- people would, would, would really sign up for that. So I'd most, watch that movie. Yeah. So we've gotten through Leviticus. We're really proud of you guys for your Bible reading plan it, to, as we learn through Leviticus. And actually, Pastor Eric will be teaching on that uh, this Sunday, just preaching through uh, a little bit, teaching us more on Leviticus. But here we are, Into the Wilderness. So my first question is for you guys is, one of the key themes that keeps showing up, especially in the first half of the book of Numbers, is rituals. Like God gives them these rituals. Actually, part of like two chapters is the, saying the exact same thing that the priest did in order all the things they did. Like this priest did it, then this priest did it, then this priest did it, and they all did the same thing. Same amount of animals, same amount of lampstands, same amount of gold. Everything was the same. So. But we as modern people, sometimes we struggle with rituals. Uh, what, do, what do modern people think of rituals? Where are we at with rituals? And why do some people are kind of even moving toward abandoning rituals? You know, I think modern people, when they think of the idea of ritual, they're like anti-ritual. Right? That's kind of like the modern mindset because even when they, they probably don't even realize that they have rituals that they do themselves. Yeah, like daily rituals. Yeah, that. daily rituals or even like rituals for significant events or whatever. They don't realize they're rituals. They, when you just say, hey, let's have a ritual or here's what do you think of rituals? I think most modern people would be like, no, anti-ritual. I'm free thinker. I'm a free kind of guy. I don't believe in rituals. You know, it's, it's, there's no substance in it. I think that's the modern perception of it. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I would say like a, a word that I think of is just rote. Like it's just rote. Like you just do it. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that is like drawing you in. There's nothing that like is, we think of rituals as, they're not like bringing you closer into whatever the, the actual ritual is supposed to be about. Whether that, you know, like, um, I don't know. I mean, we, we talked about even before this of, you know, singing the national anthem. Like people sing the national anthem before baseball games, which we all wish sports were happening right now, right? But um, yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's those kind of rituals, but then there's graduation ceremonies. Imagine if, like, well, this is kind of happening in 2020, and it's sad. But imagine if you you get your PhD or you get your degree or you graduate, and the school doesn't even barely acknowledge it. They send you an email saying, "Hey, great job," and that's it. Like we would be sad. Like we we. What if you went to a wedding? And there was no party, no event. They're like, oh, yeah, they, as soon as they, 20 minutes ago, they just decided they got married and they already left for the honeymoon. So you're not even, you know, there was no ritual. So even though we're becoming 
anti-ritual. We're also appreciate rituals. Any any other thoughts on rituals? Well, I think even now with this COVID situation, <clears throat> I think we're awakening a new. Yes, we do like rituals. We miss our rituals. These are things that bonded us together. These are common experiences that let us celebrate or remember or honor something. So I think we're realizing in this circumstance that we do like rituals. You know, even though we don't call it that. And there's even a sense in which it. it you know, as you're talking about graduations or wedding ceremonies, to not be able to practice them, to, to know what, what went into it and, and what it symbolizes, it kind of feels unfulfilled. You know, to, to like you, you spend all this time, you've put all this work in, and then you don't have like a ceremony or something that, that says, okay, I graduated. Like that moment is, is important. And even simple rituals like Thanksgiving dinner, like going to your parents' house or celebrating holidays or certain things that your family did every year at this time. Like those, those help us make it through life, make it through the week. I love how the Old Testament presents these rituals for them and, and the, these festivals for them. Festivals, some of them are more of mourning and, and sacrifice. Some are more of celebration. And even, yeah, just Eric, you mentioned earlier just the ritual, like your favorite ritual, which was one of mine. It's just as a college football fan, we would get up, watch college football game day, and and hear the stories and 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 hear what the what they guessed that we would who, would our team win or not with Lee Corso. I'm yeah, stealing your example, yeah. but yeah. Lee Corso, man, I always wanted like I like, like even if I missed the rest of of college game day, I wanted to see. What's the what's the headgear he's gonna wear? What what is he gonna you know is he gonna put on the the Alabama elephant or is he gonna put on the Auburn tiger? Of course, head, right? the Auburn you tiger. Know? Yeah, <laughs> so you're, just waiting, you're just waiting to see like what's he gonna do? Who's he gonna pick? Listen, we want to establish that the SEC football is religion to most people anyway. Yeah. So let's we're gonna head right into that fact. Right? All right. So we've established that we have rituals in America, even though people say they're going away or people say oh, I don't like them. Now I want to. There's a common phrase that's thrown around and it says Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And it's it's a really good statement. It actually helps a lot of modern people share the gospel, share who Jesus is, share what it means to be a Christian. The problem with that is it's not a re- religion per se, but it is. We have these beautiful rituals. We're not it's not just this relationship where there are no rituals. There are there's nothing that we have. So can a ritual show relationship? And how do our Christian rituals show our relationship with God? Well, I think the phrase shows, you know, the classic, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's some negatives that we've seen happen through kind of rote rituals, kind of meaningless ceremonies that don't have substance to it. But rituals with substance is powerful. It's uniting. It's identifying. You know, it's remembering. One of the most beautiful examples of this, is, I think, is communion. You know, communion is this time that the body of believers gather together and celebrate the work of Jesus Christ. We remember, we receive his, this means of grace. This is a ritual. Now, it could become rote. I totally get that. For some people, it could become something that they just, oh, what am I doing here? What I, you know, yeah. take it in an unworthy manner. But when you take it in a manner that's um, what it's meant to be, it's such a powerful means of uniting the body, connecting with Christ, um, receiving his gift. I mean, it's a powerful ritual that unites us. Yeah, I remember talking to some people, and this is, this is getting a little, uh, maybe in the peripheries a little bit, uh, not necessarily rituals, but even just thinking like liturgically uh, and, and just the way that uh, the church operates. I mean, some, some churches and some, some church traditions are more high church in their practices, meaning they have these more like 
this this more spelled out process. Like you you go to church and you know, okay, I know exactly the order of service. And I know how like, uh, and then you have those who are more low church, and so uh, it can it can kind of fluctuate more. You don't necessarily like maybe it could be even lean more toward charismatic and can just be more free flowing, fr- uh, let the spirit move kind of thing. Um, but I remember talking to uh, somebody in my apartment community who's who's uh, uh, a part of the Anglican tradition, and she was just she was talking about how uh, being in this higher church model it, it it really oriented her to like like in in the midst of everything that's going on throughout the week. It's like okay, this like the rest of my week is really disorienting, but but coming in into the church service, it, it like n- getting into the flow of of what we're doing, it, it really orients me to. What I'm doing there and, and why I'm worshiping, and I think even as we're talking about rituals, there is there is an aspect of of if you don't know the purpose of the ritual, and I think I think this is this is kind of what happens is we kind of lose the the understanding of why we do these things, and when you when you detach it from the the meaning behind it, far enough down the road, you're going to get to this conclusion: Why do we do this? This is meaningless. It, it has no purpose. It has no value. But then when you're like as you're talking about even with communion. Uh, it has incredible meaning, and it, and it's it, and and the purpose for why we do it matters a whole lot in terms of who Jesus is, what He's done. What we're, like we're remembering something when we take the the bread and, and the cup together. And so, uh, you know, I, I even had a I had a friend uh, in high school. The church I went to in high school used to recite the Apostles' Creed as a church, and he was like, "Why do we do that? Like, I'm not I'm I'm just not going to do it when we do it because I don't know why we do it." And yeah. It doesn't mean that the Apostles' Creed is bad or unhelpful. He just didn't understand the, the ritual aspect of it, and so he said, I'm not going to do it. So what we want you guys to really appreciate about the Book of Numbers is that it's part of this tr- Christian tradition that we have. It's, it's part of who we are. It's the story of our people. Even though you might be of you know various descents, you have a little German, a little English, a little Italian, Korean, whatever, Chinese, you have all these different, maybe you're just one thing or a mix of many things, but really, as Christians, these are our people. These are our stories. So knowing them, knowing why God created these rituals helps us see the richness of it and, and just shows that God cares about these details. And he cares and he wants us to experience rituals. And I would say, you notice we don't read all of Numbers, you know, when we do some stuff, when we have a party at the church, but we would read the priestly b- blessing because that's kind of a summary. Just like when you celebrate 4th of July, most of you don't have a recite the Constitution, you know, but you celebrate what the Constitution means. Dang, and what, what, you do at your house? what the Declaration of Independence means, you know, when in course of human events. I had to memorize like the first paragraph. <laughs> I can see Danny's whole family. I had to memorize the first paragraph in some competition I was in in like fifth grade, but I couldn't even get, they're, I could barely. like the forefathers, they're wearing like. Yeah, I was wearing the wigs. So. So just like that, the, one of the things we, learn, we glean from numbers is that rituals are good and God wants us to be engaged. And rituals don't mean that we don't have a relationship. My next thought, I, th- I thought it was a fun question, is why is it good to wear a tassel? In, uh, f- in Numbers 1537, there's this fascinating... Uh, passage that I just want to look and it says then the Lord said to Moses speak to the Israelites and say to them throughout the generations to come you are to make tassels at the corner of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel you will have these tassels to look at so you will remember all the commands of the Lord so that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes 
Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So that's, that's right in the middle. So why would it be good for them to have this tassel? And what, what would be a modern equivalent of us having a tassel? Like what could we do as Christians? Because we need to remember this because we, we are them in many ways in the way we are, have these sinful hearts that turn away from God. Yeah, it's cool that God gave them tassels to wear. We kind of really don't know what a tassel is. I guess like, like a, the graduation. Yeah, tassel. that's what I was thinking, yeah. like a graduation tassel. I don't know what this really looked like. A, a knot of string. I don't know what it looked like. But basically, it's your ID card. It's your membership secret decoder ring, part of a club card. This is your way of saying, "Hey, these are my people." This is what I'm about. I'm loyal to this God. You know, it's like if, if all of us were part of a, a, a military platoon or part of a baseball team or part of a, a close-knit sewing circle or whatever it may be, whatever illustration it is, it's identifying saying we are one together. We're unified. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that right now, what do we have? Do we have tassels? No, we have the spirit. What unifies us, that brings us a symbolic, shows our unity is the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. So I think that's a beautiful thing. But it's this idea that says, what's a symbol that says this is who we are? Yeah, I mean, as we're talking about it, I think of, you know, we have, for those who are married, we have wedding bands as a way of of showing our allegiance to to our our marriages, to our spouse. Um, and I, you know, I remember, so I got married when I was in college, which is not the, the average person doesn't do that. Uh, it was kind of an anomaly, but, uh, so, so I had the experience of, of playing intramural sports while being married and ran into a situation where I was playing, I was playing in a soccer game and they said, you can't wear jewelry. So they said, if you want to play in the soccer game, you can either wear a glove or you can take your wedding ring off. And, um, you know, so I know that people, some people are different in, in how they do that, but by the time I was like, no, like I'm not, I'm not gonna, I don't have a glove, and I'm not gonna take my wedding ring off. So if I can't play, like my my allegiance to my wife is greater than my allegiance to this intramural soccer team. So I'm gonna wear my ring and I'm gonna sit out. Um, he just made me look back because I don't have my ring on right now. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes your fingers swell or whatever. Yeah, but it was a choice that you made. But but but, but, the, but the point being not not to like make myself look. No, no, but, but but more so, um, more so that like like having that kind of a tassel or a ring or, or something to like it, it orients you. It shows it shows it orients you to something else that. That you're you're making the decision. I'm gonna I'm gonna yoke myself with this, or I'm gonna as we're talking about, we want to yoke ourselves with the Lord. Uh, I would, I wanted to yoke myself with with this with my my wife more than I want to yoke myself with this soccer team. That's that's greater. And so I'm gonna while it, it could have been it could have just been yeah it's simple like just take off the ring, you can play and then you can put it back on. But but I want to do that because to me it it meant some like the the ring means more to me than the soccer game. Um, now somebody let me borrow their glove, which was nice, but at the time it was still like I'm I'm making that decision, and so even even for us as we're saying, you know what? As I mean, with with talking about tassels in the Lord, it's it's even greater because we're saying, okay, like you're just going to take off your tassels, but what kind of compromise does that mean you're making? Um, yeah, and I think uh, for I I had some friends in college. First time I really started meeting people who were walking with God, and you'd go to their bathroom. And they'd have Bible verses, you know, like up about vanity or purity or something. And that was, and 
it was there to as a reminder of who they were in God and that when they look in that mirror, all these thoughts are going to race through. I have myself and others, many of my friends put uh, filters, internet filters on our phone. That's a remembrance of like, we're gods and I don't, there are so many dangerous things on my phone, not even just pornography. Uh, I have a thing where, you know, it, it limits how many, how much time I can spend on an app. And I don't do that as a restriction. I do that as a grace because I want to remember that I'm God's and that these things on my phone, even even articles, newspaper articles, can consume my mind and turn me from God. So we have we can we all need tassels. We all need things to remind us to turn back to God. I had a former youth. Um, she came to me one day. And she she was this is when she's after college, just graduating college. She came up to me and she said, "Lawrence, Lawrence, I got a tattoo." And I was making fun of her. I was like, "What are you doing getting a tattoo?" And she showed it to me. She had it on her wrist. And it just said beloved. And I said, oh, okay. What, why'd you get that tattoo? And it covered up scars that she had from cutting herself. Mm. And wow, yeah, for her, she wanted to remember every time I'm tempted to cut myself. Anytime I'm tempted to not wow. care about who I am. Anytime that I, I, I want to not like myself or hate myself or, don't, or I forget, I want to be reminded by that tattoo that I am beloved. You know, and they covered up her scars. I just thought that was such a beautiful story of what it, what a tassel can do. Wow. So God gives him this beautiful picture. He already gave him the priestly blessing, which will, how we'll end today. But, uh, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, which is probably one of the most quoted passages in the Bible, which is in Into the Wilderness. I'm not going to call it Numbers anymore. I'm going to call it Into the Wilderness. Uh, but so they have these tassels. And they're supposed to remember God and not prostitute themselves and know that their heart will turn against God. Why did the pe- pe- people keep failing to trust God? Like that's kind of the, all the narrative in Numbers is them not trusting God. Like that's kind of like the point of the second half of Numbers is that God gave them his promise. He gave them his presence. He gave them everything that they needed. He even gave them this priestly blessing that said he would give them peace and be with them, even if they didn't take the Nazarite vow, even if they didn't become a monk or nun, right at, right before that, I mean, right after that, he says, pray this over everyone. I'm with everyone. He gives them atonement. He gives them this tassel to remind them. He says, just trust me. And they fail over and over and over again. So why, why do they fail? Because they're human and because they're us. Because they're human, yeah. I mean, honestly, when I think about the book of into the Wilderness, not the Book of Numbers, but the book like Into the Jack Wilderness. It does it sounds like a Jack London novel. Um, I love the fact that this is us. Out of any other book in the Old Testament, like we should relate to Numbers the most. Because for our experience, this is post-Exodus, which for us is post-resurrection. You know, this is on their way traveling to the Promised Land. This is us as we're traveling to the Promised Land. We're in the wilderness now. We have what they have. They had the presence of God in their midst. We have the Holy Spirit. You know, and so we're sitting here, and this is us, and honestly, it, it, it relates, doesn't it? I mean, for me, I, I'm tempted to look at them and say, how can you be so stupid? Mm-hmm. You know, even in my sermon this past Sunday, I said, what? You built a golden calf right away? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. That's what my temptation is, but in reality, this is what we do. How many golden calves have we built? Exactly. Yeah. Like, literally, I mean, our life is a series of building golden calves, oh. taking the blessings of God, melting them down, and building something else Do, are, that doing takes it our attention yeah. Yeah, yeah that that steals our yeah any other thoughts on why they keep failing they just don't trust god what are they what are these things that they're attracted to what are the things around them why why would they turn to these things yeah i mean before before jumping into that i think you know 
going back to what you're saying, Lawrence, um, I, I think for you know we are we are tempted to think of of the people like that to think like how could you be so dumb, and even from a practical standpoint, I think I think this journey in total was supposed to take like two three weeks maybe of of travel time, and it took them forty years. I mean that's that's an incredibly long time. I mean that, that sounds like that sounds unrealistic. Like how long it, it took them to like they are just going on this winding path, trying to get there and, and just time and time again, grumbling, complaining, not, not obeying the Lord. But, but even for us, like as, as you're paralleling this, this story of the Exodus with where we're at post-resurrection, I think that we, we forget where we are. We, we forget where we're placed in the story right now of what God is doing and where he's leading us to where we're, we're disoriented. We're like, like, why hasn't this already happened? Why hasn't God already done? Why hasn't he already brought this to fulfillment? Why aren't we already there yet? And, and so then, then, then we turn to other things, and we, 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 try, to, um, we try to find uh, other things to, to get to, to expedite the process. Or, or to, rather than trusting God, we say, God, what do you do? Like, maybe you don't know what you're doing. Take so matters into our own hands. So we take matters into our own hands. And, and especially even even in modern day, we think we are God, right. and we have we have the same capacities. We we're able to do. We, we don't have the same limitations as they did, and so we're able to go farther than they were able to. And and and, and really, it, what they're struggling with is the same things that we're struggling with. We we have like we we have the same problem. We can't control our appetite. So they're struggling with the three thousand year old version. Like they're attracted to Baal, this god, right. god of you know that brings rain, and they want to do sexual things and these other things. We 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 don't do those things. We literally don't worship little statues. But we but in a sense, that's all we do. Is we our idolatry is like their idolatry. So any other thoughts on why it's hard for them to trust God? It's giving into the same temptation that Adam and Eve. Tower Babel, over uh, even Abraham and all these others have done is we make ourselves God. We we want to f- give into the whims of our hungers, our appetites. You know, rather than knowing what's best and trusting God to take care of us, we want to give into these whims and these hungers. And so, what they found in Baal worship, we're finding in worship of our idols or of our media our or consumption or, or American TV dream or, yeah. yeah yeah all these different our and, bank account or our and our ultimately kids it's or, still our own appetites yeah. that are made being made personified through these other elements right. yeah and they have these tassels around them like when they're worshiping ba- Baal the tassels are like banging against their shins you know literally they're they're choosing to like they're like god I kind of trust you thanks for getting me here but for some reason, this other thing I need to trust more than you. Like I'm scared, or I'm worried, or I I just this is my appetite for this. I want this more than than I want you, God. And even even with that, like they, so they have these tassels, but then they're also the the way that they're traveling. You know, they 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 have this tabernacle, they have this tent among them. Like the 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 Ark of the Covenant goes before them, and then they set up camp, and everything is oriented around this tabernacle. They're ta- they're 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 oriented around the presence of God. And there's a cloud. Literally, God's presence is like hovering over it. Like yeah, a he's cloud. leading. Like how can you how can you ignore that? And yet they're saying, I want I want that. And even look at us. Like our our week is oriented around Sunday. You know, a lot of our people in our in our churches, they they they're, they're small groups, and they're there's you know the they have Christian T-shirts or church church shirts or scripture on Facebook. Yeah, we're still tempted. Yeah, 
You know, it's very similar to them. I remember when I was in high school, do you guys remember the WWJD bracelets? Yeah, what would Jesus do? Yeah, like yeah. elementary school. <laughs> yeah. I remember that was a like Lawrence and I were kind of dating ourselves. Yeah. I, was, I was in college, I think. Yeah, and that was, that was, those were really popular, right? Yeah. Well, I remember, whether it was a superstitious nature of me or whatever, but I remember like, I got this bracelet, I can't do anything that bad. So like, I remember, if I, if I knew I was going to be like, oh, tempted, I might take it off and be like, okay. You know what I mean? So, like you were saying, those tassels, and even WJD, as silly as it was, could also help us. Yeah. You know, maybe the tassel hitting their shin might be like, oh, do you really want to do that? Well, it's even, even um, you know, I think of like a, like a church Bumper sticker. <laughs> I don't put one on because I don't want to like uh, be a bad representation of the church. So yeah, I'm a crazy driver in the morning getting my when, my when we're late for school. So I'm worried about the waypoint sticker on my on my car. <laughs> if I had it on, uh, I have to drive differently. You know? like I have to have a better oh. reputation. You can't cut people off. You can't be yelling at people. That's good. So we're gonna we're gonna move on and and. How is God faithful to continue them on the journey to the promised land despite their disobedience and continued lack of faith? I mean, how do we see God's faithfulness in this story? And, and what, yeah, what do we learn about God in this story? Well, we see the, the second generation. He, he was faithful all to them, even all to the next generation. And they entered into the promised land. Yeah, and really only Joshua and Caleb, Moses himself, Aaron and Miriam, kind of the big three, you know, we, we think of it as just Moses, but actually, if you look at the narrative, God calls all three of them to be a part of this redemption, and they, they work together as a team doing different elements of this deliverance. But yeah, Caleb and, and Joshua are the only two who enter in, but we see that second generation, and we see, yes, Judges, the book of Judges is, and Joshua are filled with some successes and lots of failures, and then, you know, Kings and, Chronicle, and Samuel and Kings, we see the successes and the failures, but we always see... God's faithfulness. And for the church, for you guys doing the Bible reading plan, it's not, it, it, it's intentional that while you're reading numbers, you're reading Acts. Because you're look at, looking at what God did after the Exodus, as the people are wandering in the wilderness, and then you're looking at what God did after the resurrection and after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So you're seeing the two parallels at the same time. You're reading Acts a lot slower because it's, for, first of all, it's, it's, it's it, the New Testament shorter, so we're we're letting you read it in more devotional chunks. But also, so take that, remember that as you're reading both of these side by side. We're giving you an opportunity to see what God did after the Exodus, and then what God did after the resurrection and after the Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. Uh, my next question or next thought that I want us to just just think through is: What are some things we see in Numbers that show the grand narrative of the Bible? and point us to the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, what are some things we see in Numbers? Sorry, not in Exodus. They're, they're, all, they're all exciting. What do we see in Numbers about the grand narrative and, and things that point us to Christ? I mean, we see a, prom- a fulfilling of the promise of Abraham, right? You, you'll be given a land and you'll be given a people. Yeah, so the census, when they count the census, it's, it's the promise is fulfilled. Now, just a note that... Almost all Bible scholars feel that the, the numbers at the beginning, the census is inflated in some way. We don't know how to, why the translation of that Hebrew word. It would be 600,000 fighting men, and that number would just be too high because there's only like 40,000 fighting men in Joshua. So all Bible scholars, they keep the number because that's what it says in the Hebrew Bible, but we, we know that there's something about, we don't, we don't know exactly how those numbers 
aren't the exact numbers. There's there's something about this. So I'm just acknowledging that. But there's the census. So the census proves that God's covenant faithfulness to Abraham comes true. Exactly, Lawrence. What what else do we see in the grand narrative from Numbers? What are some things and things that point us to Christ? I mean, ultimately, we see this is God's raising up of a people and the land and his promised fulfillment to Abraham. But we see this intimacy, this relationship that he's pursuing here. You know, this this pursuit of a people who are set apart, who are holy to show his holiness. You know, rituals to show their intimacy and their relationship and to acknowledge that they, that they belong together. And then we see this all to be fulfilled in the work of Jesus. Yeah, and we see that no matter what, the sin, the brokenness of the people, the messing up of the people, God's plan will continue to, to go through. He will keep moving them to the promised land. And like Eric, you said, we're in that same, we're in the wilderness. The New Testament time, we're in a wilderness. We God has came, Jesus has come, but he hasn't fully consummated his kingdom. And we're in this place where we have to trust God. This world is our home, but it's not our home. And and we're in this place of of. Jesus is tabernacled among us, and we're following the Spirit as His church. So those are some things I see. Now, there's a fascinating story in here where there's a snake. These snakes are biting them, and Moses holds up a, a, a staff, a, a staff with a snake uh, made of, like, looks like a snake. And if they look to it, they're healed. And most people don't even know that in, right before John 3.16, the most famous passage in the Bible, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the stick, the Son of Man will be lifted up. And Jesus himself refers to this account that you look to Jesus to be healed. So Numbers just has fascinating narrative after fascinating narrative. So as you guys are reading it, I I challenge you to just let the Spirit speak to you. Use commentary. You're probably going to need some commentary. But let it help you see the big picture of, of Scripture. Well, Danny, what are some commentaries? You say use commentary. What, yeah, what are so, some so I always tell people to start. There's a there's a study. There's the ESV study Bible, and then there's another study Bible called the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. And I would say that's our number one recommended notes for the Old and New Testament. It, it's it's really thick and fat. If you get the digital version on Kindle, you just can get the notes, so you can read your regular Bible and have the notes. If you're interested in like Logos so- Bible software and want to begin to to dig deeper, uh, I can definitely Eric or Lawrence or I can show you how to how to start. It starts with a fifty dollar package. And you, you can really use these tools to dig deeper. Then there's some free stuff online, uh, Blue Letter Bible, Crossway uh, website. So there, there's some tools, but definitely use these tools. And if you're struggling and you need some commentary, you need some tools, contact us. And we'll, we, we want you to really get the most out of your Bible reading time. Uh, and then the Bible Project videos, every book of the Bible, the video is between probably 7 and 12 minutes if they have split it into two videos. And that's another way to really see the big narrative. So my final question for today, my final thought is what can we as Christians today glean from numbers? Like what are some things? We, we've mentioned these here and there throughout, but what are, what are some final thoughts you have that as you, what have you gleaned from it and what can we tell our folks? Like these, these are some things that we can glean from this. You know, one thing for me that jumps out at me is the Lord's faithfulness to his, his promises, to his covenant people. You know, he kept his promises to Abraham. He's kept his promises to Moses. He's patient. He, when, when they've over and over again, when, when I would have given up on them, you know, when I would have been like, are you kidding me again? 
Another golden calf? Yeah. Are you kidding me again? You're worshiping Baal? Seriously? He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't let go of us. He provides a way for us, always. Yeah. It's always the same pattern. Like he, he delivers them, he gives them the law, then he gives them the presence, and then he, he, he gives them, and then he sends them on the journey. He never sends them on the journey without redeeming them, without giving them the instruction, without giving them his presence and going before them. And even when they fail, the cycle starts all over again. Even in the wilderness, it's already started. So yeah, I think I think um, I think too. Uh, from from just one standpoint is I, I can't imagine. You know, we we talk about talking about pastoring a, a flock for forty years. What about what about that flock? Like having <laughs> yeah. to having to try to continue to be faithful to the Lord, and and we even see Moses ultimately he falls short. Where we can say, okay, Jesus is the new Moses, and we we know that Jesus isn't going to fall short. He's not he's not going to take matters into his own hand. He's going to trust the Lord. And even throughout Scripture, you see, uh, time and time again, uh, there's there's this reference from the, from the biblical authors to this Exodus generation saying, don't be like them. There's it's just warning against unbelief. And I think I think that's if I had to s- summarize what we're all kind of battling against, what we're all trying to fight is is that that temptation for for unbelief and and to say no i can't i can't trust the lord uh i'm going to turn to something else whatever that something else is as we're talking about trying to to control our appetites or to to, um but but that we want to we want to we that we do turn to the lord that we do trust him that we do uh trust in in our our new moses who is jesus and and that we can hold fast to him and and know that he's he's leading us to the promised rest that that we all long for yeah and I want everyone who's listening to go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll actually put this out of order on the Bible reading plan next week because this is how it starts off. It says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scripture said, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did. And then it goes on to say in chapter in verse 11, these things happened to them as an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Actually, Paul uses that the book of Numbers is our story. It's a commentary on we can trust God or we can trust in our ways. We, can, we, we have Christ's presence. So that's what I want to leave you guys with is that the best thing we can glean from this is that we can look at them and not scoff at them and make fun of them, but we could say we we're, we have the tendency to be just like them, right. except for the grace of God that saved us and set us free and His Spirit. So let God's Spirit dwell in you. Let His Spirit guide you each day. And I'm going to end with the priestly blessing from um, Leviticus chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 
Go in peace, Waypoint Church, and uh, continue to trust God with each day. Have a great week. Have a great week. Love you guys. Bye.